0: So 25 years ago on this particular Sunday, the actual date was April 1st, which would be Wednesday. It was the first Sunday I was officially here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship, and I and uh, I know that I would have never been able to dream of this. 25 years ago. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You are good. So, Lord, as we now transition to receive your word this morning, we ask that our hearts would be open before you, that you would speak to us out of the fullness of your word into the depths of our heart today. We thank you. We welcome you now. Jesus, our Lord, amen. 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 Well, this morning we're concluding our Lenten study on favorable, living out the fullness of God's favor through the Beatitudes. Uh, Stephen, if you'd come. Over these eight weeks, we are... I've been looking at each of the Beatitudes and uh, allowing the Lord to take the plumb line of His Word and cut deeply into our hearts and reveal to us His heart and what it means to live this fullness of His favor in this year of favor. Stephen came to me and shared with me that he had a, a, a testimony um, related to last week's message on uh, being peacemakers, so if you'd share that as we kind of prepare our hearts to hear.
1: Yeah, so... Yeah, last week's message was on Blessed Are the Peacemakers, um, and uh, Wednesday night in Mosaic, we were meditating on that, and it truly and clearly was God preparing Shelly and I. Uh, Last night, we went over to my parents for dinner, and we figured it'd be dinner and a game night, and that's kind of what we had planned, and after dinner, some things that have been happening under the surface for quite a while, like, rose up, and it was... Hard and painful and ugly, but we were prepared by the Lord in this, through that, through meditating on that this And After we left, Shelly said, I'm so glad that's what we were meditating on that this week. Um, and so Shelly and I and my parents and one of my sisters were there, and we sat down and we talked through this, and I, I don't know, like, I, I love the, the, the kind of phrase the, the Spanish phrase that Pastor Jim has used, like, congratulations, you're on the way. We didn't solve the problems last night, but it came to the surface. We dug into where there's pain and has been pain for my mom's whole life and how that's worked into my parents' marriage and how that's affected our family. And it was just beautiful and hard, and there were tears, and but it's so good. And so, you know, that is peacemaking. It's It would have been a lot calmer and easier if we had just had a game night, but the Lord brought this up, and it came, and peace was made, you know, it's not done, but it's being made, so I just wanted to testify to the Lord's goodness that thinking and um, meditating on these, and as we do the, the, the week of fast, and we pray into one each day, like, ask him, Lord, how can we bring peace. Shelly said on Wednesday night at Mosaic in her journal she wrote, Lord, how can we be peacemakers in our family? And (laughs) there was the answer. So be careful what you ask for, but ask because it's so, so, so good.
0: I also received uh, just a note from Ken Holmgren. I'd asked him to write something just related to the uh, prayer times that we've been enjoying here uh, for the last three days. Uh, in the favor fast and he just wrote I've been richly blessed by the three prayer times I've been able to share in since our favor full fast began on Thursday. It's so refreshing to sit and soak in God's presence. I'm thankful that Sharon and I, and I chose to make room in our schedule for these prayer times and Ken of course is the head of our elder board and um, on behalf of the elders and, uh, and, and on my behalf uh, I do want to invite you. We have 18 more prayer times ahead of us over the next uh, six days, and um, I really want to encourage you. It's been just deeply um, satisfying to just spend time with him, to, to let him work these beatitudes into our spirit, as well as we've been pouring our hearts out on behalf of the persecuted church around the world, and um, there's something powerful. This is... In this year of favor, remember, God is calling us to leverage his favor on behalf of a wounded waiting world. It's not, bless me, bless me, bless me. It's bless through me, bless through me, bless through me. Let your favor come upon so that, so during the week this week, there's prayer times at 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m., right up here in our prayer room. Uh, Friday's a little different because of the Good Friday events, there is a 7 a.m., than the uh, Mission St. Paul Crosswalk, and at 7 p.m., our Good Friday service is going to be on celebrating over persecution, and several of our family of church pastors are going to bring testimony about persecution that they have faced, that God has brought them through, and it's going to be a powerful, the Good Friday service is one of the most powerful services that we share together in as a family of churches, so I invite you to come. And Saturday, we'll be again focusing on the persecuted church at 8 noon, and five, to prepare all of this for Sunday and our uh, Resurrection Sunday celebration. So uh, if you've not yet taken that step of baptism, I want to add my encouragement to Lynn's earlier. Uh, let us know. Take that step. If your are a child, uh, 10 years older and older around, a uh, young person, youth, kind of asking questions about that or you want you, you sense they're ready, speak to them. Let us know. That would be great. All right. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I have much to walk through this morning, and I'm going to try to do it in as expeditious a way as possible. I do recognize what time it is. And so, uh, yeah, here we are. Matthew 5, starting in verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, the context for the Beatitudes, of course, is the whole kingdom of God and the kingdom which is near. You've seen this uh, particular graph multiple times, um, but it's helpful to orient us around even Jesus' words here, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near in Matthew 14, Matthew four seventeen, Remember that at Jesus' first coming, the kingdom to come, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven was inaugurated. And it broke into this present kingdom, which of course began with the fall of Satan and the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, subsequent to that. So, So this present kingdom that we live in here on earth now was interrupted by the kingdom to come. And when Jesus comes again in his second coming, we have the confidence that the kingdom which was inaugurated when he first came will be consummated when he comes again. That which is already here the not yet of that will be fulfilled, and we as the church live in the context between this present kingdom and the kingdom to come. We live in this awkward place of one foot firmly planted on terra firma. Here we are on earth, and we live in the context. We know it. Look around you. Read your newspaper. Listen to any news report, and you know that we live in the context of a present kingdom of a, the, the, ruled by the Prince of the air, Satan, there's this this present evil age which we live in. And yet, we also have one foot firmly planted in the heavenlies. As it says in Ephesians, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And in that place, in between those things, between those two very true realities, we live our lives in the tension between those two things. Between those two kingdoms. The already kingdom and the not yet kingdom. And when Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, he was making a statement, and and, and that was that into the darkness and disorientation and disintegration of a dying world, Jesus announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. And in that announcement, there is this call to allegiance to his kingdom, because it is his kingdom which brings light and reorientation and integration resulting in, as he says himself in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, this present evil age to keep, steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life to the full. So into the darkness, he brings light. Into the disorientation, he brings reorientation. Into the midst of disintegration, he brings integration. Right, And that's what was, that was what was going on last night. For uh, Stephen and Shelley in their family situation. That was the, the kingdom of God coming into the midst of a difficult, hard situation to bring reorientation and light and integration. All right? So, the, um, the, the first four Beatitudes, as we've noted, focus on our utter dependence on God, and the next four Beatitudes focus on the outworking of that dependence. And so, the need and action are connected to one another here as we walk through the Beatitudes. So as we've noticed, poorness in spirit brings forth mercy on our heart because we are aware of how dependent we are on God. It just issues forth in mercy out of us. Uh, The mourning, the mourning over our sin causes us to continue to pursue that pureness in heart. The meekness of, which uh, he invites us to, which we were just praying about yesterday. Some powerful prayer time around meekness results in being peacemakers, which is what we studied last week. And then that hunger and thirsting for righteousness—that's the hunger and thirst to to have those need filled and to and to flow out then in action. And, and interestingly, gets paired with persecution, and and the hunger and thirst for righteousness and the and the. Uh, Number eight, uh, our final beatitude we're looking at this morning. Blessed are you, uh, are those, let me get it just right, who are persecuted because of righteousness. So as you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the result of that can very well be persecution in our lives. Not only that, I want you to notice they're all kind of built, I mean Jesus, again these weren't just sort of random sayings that got collected. This was something that Jesus spoke in a very intentional way, and there's a building. And remember, in one, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the first and the last sort of are the bookends around the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to notice, even in the, the flow of this, the mercy of, Resulting the pure in heart causes us again also to be peacemakers. There's a building here and peacemaking will often also result in persecution. I've said this multiple times. I will remind us of it again this morning. If you are going to be a bridge maker, you are going to get walked on because bridges are built to be walked on. So if you want to be a peacemaker, you will experience The reality of persecution. So let's take a moment now, uh, the rest of our time together, to unpack this particular beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. What does persecuted mean? Um, I love this definition from Noah Webster from the 1828. Um, I've got this dictionary that was given to me. Um, it isn't the original 1828 one. That would be worth a billion dollars. But, uh, but it is the 1828 version of Noah Webster. And he was firmly rooted into biblical principles. And so a lot of his uh, definitions kind of go back to, uh, back, even back to scriptures. It's very interesting. But here's his, his definition of persecution. To afflict, harass, or destroy for adherence, or the words we've been using, allegiance, for allegiance to a particular creed or system of religious principles or to a mode of worship. To afflict, harass, or destroy for allegiance, adherence to a particular creed or system of religious principles or to a mode of worship. Now let's understand what righteousness is. Righteousness comes from the Greek word dekaisune, uh, the Hebrew word is tzedakah, um, and it really means true inner goodness that results from a whole orientation of one's life towards God and his will. So it isn't just kind of like being a good person externally doing good things on the outside. It has to do again with an inner, we've, as we've looked at this and, and the, the kingdom realities here, we've discovered that they are inside out. They're upside down and inside out. So this is a Another inside out, true inner goodness. Uh, Genesis 15.6, of course, is about Abraham. And uh, you can uh, go there if you'd like to. Genesis 15.6, I'll just read it quickly. This is where it tells us that it was credited to him. He had faith. It says Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That's that word of righteousness. And then in Romans... Chapter 4, Paul picks up that scripture right out of of, uh, Genesis in this portion where he talks about Abraham. He said, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. And the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So it really comes out of this place of trust. Righteousness is not something that you earn. It's not a merit badge that you get for being a really good boy or Girl Scout. You don't get a badge of righteousness. You you begin to live a life of righteousness out of deeper trust in God deeper faithfulness to Him, deeper surrender to His will and to His purposes, out of that righteousness flows. All right. Let's go on. Here's some scriptures just to encourage you today. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I'm holding on to 2 Timothy 3.12. I'm waiting for the persecution. Is it said it'll come? 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Don't be surprised. I mean, Jesus himself said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you belong to this present kingdom, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. So why does righteousness bring persecution? We're going to look at uh, four things here, and we're going to do this quickly. uh, Four of the, you'll see the dot, dot, dot's there. The reason is the first. Why does righteousness bring persecution? The the pursuit of righteousness will arouse opposition from those whose self-respect and or interests may be threatened by that pursuit. Let that sink in for a moment. The pursuit of righteousness will arouse opposition from those whose self-respect and or interests may be threatened by that pursuit. Now, this opposition is not because we're obnoxious and offensive, though sometimes the church, to its great detriment, has been. But that's not persecution. Just because, okay, just because you are irritating at work does not mean and, and people don't like you, it doesn't mean you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake. It could just be that you're being obnoxious <laughs> and offensive, honestly. I mean, there are people, there are Christians who wave the banner of, I'm being persecuted, you know, and honestly, they're just, they're just people that you just don't really want to be around. Right? Okay? That's not what this is about. Okay? It's not because you're beating your coworker around the head with your Schofield reference or at school or wherever, okay, in your neighborhood. This is not what we're talking about. All right? It's because of righteousness. It's this true inner goodness. It's it's the place where you know you you stand because the word of the Lord has been worked into your life. It's deep within you, it's there, and it's real and because it's real and it radiates from you it can threaten those whose self-respect or interest the world i mean you know there's the, the world system that we're in has an agenda the enemy has an agenda hello and when you choose to stand in the place of righteousness not even being you know, you not, might not even be on the offense. You're just standing in the place of righteousness. That can be deeply offensive to people. It can be. Because their self-interest, their self-respect might be threatened. Think about da- Daniel in Babylon. They were just, they did not know what to do with Daniel. He experienced all kinds of political persecution. Think about it. Go read the book again. You know, in Daniel 6 in the lion's den, it was, I mean, the the guys finally said, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. And so they went to the, you know, they went and said, you know, what we need to do is we need to make a law that you can bow down to no other God for the next 30 days other than, you know, and, and all of that. And Daniel wouldn't ban But they couldn't get away, you know, it wasn't because he was offensive and obnoxious, it was because he was standing in righteousness. And they couldn't figure out what to do with him, so they came came through a side way to get him. And, you know, Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to even throw him in the lion's den, he was trying to figure out a way, but he couldn't even get away out of the way of his own law, but he went into the lion's den and God saved him. There will be political persecution. Because the powers that be (laughs) crucified Christ, they persecuted Christ. There's Jesus and the Pharisees, all the religious. Now you go back to it's interesting, Matthew 3:15. Jesus replied, and he's talking to John the Baptist here about his own baptism, he said, "Let it be so now. it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness." And then John consented. So Jesus walked in full righteousness, and he just drove the Pharisees nuts. Because the, the religious spirit hates true righteousness because it's based on this legalistic thing that's all based out of again its self-interest and its and its self and its self-identity and respect based on how good I'm doing and how you know whatever and, and when somebody isn't cooperating and I can't control them with I mean you know religion is can be religion can be incredibly controlling Jesus relationship with Christ he's not coercing he's inviting He's leading, not driving, but religion can drive terribly. And also, I should have put up here, not only that, religious and family, because you can add that on there into the, to your own PowerPoint. Religious and family, because remember when Jesus is, I mean, Jesus' brothers, sisters, they, you know, they, wanted to, they wanted to throw him into a mental institution. He's gone off his rocker. And Jesus said, well, I haven't come to bring peace, but a sword, I'm dividing. Now, you know, he's the peacemaker, but there's a division that happens sometimes very naturally, even in the context of family, because of righteousness. Paul in Ephesus, remember the great scene in Acts chapter 19? I won't take time to read it all. You go back, put it in your notes, read it, when, when Paul was in Ephesus and and you know, and 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 the idol worshippers, and all of a sudden they're bringing all their stuff, and they're burning all of their sacred texts and their idols and all of this sort of stuff. And all of the, I mean, all of the economic leaders said, "This is cutting into the bottom line. Our very economic self-interest is being threatened. We got to kill this guy. We got to get rid of this." Oh don't don't you know sometimes the you know I was an economics major the hidden hand you know Adam the, the hidden hand becomes not so hidden when economic self-interest is at stake <laughs> suddenly it becomes a fist to crush right so here's the reasons why why persecution because of righteousness so we are called now Listen carefully. You've heard me say these words before, many of you, but I want you to grasp them again. We are called not to escape from or embrace our culture's worldview, values, and practices. The church has gone headlong in both directions, either into an escapist mentality. We're holding onto the fourth, and we're the pure ones, and we're going to hang on to Our, you know, turf, and we're not going to let anybody get near us to take and taint it, and we're going to escape, and we're going to build our own little subculture that's free from the taints of the world. That's not the Bible I read. The other part of the church, you know, another temptation of the church is just to run headlong towards the culture saying, yes, yes. We're with you, absolutely. Yes, we can take, you know this was written a long time ago you know it, we need to update we need to get with the contemporary realities of course we need to be contextual however the word of god is unchanging and remember as we said last week love is not love without truth and truth is not truth without love so therefore we are called to engage our worldly cultures with the worldview, values, and practices of God's kingdom culture. And that engagement comes with a cost. That engagement comes with a cost. The result, well, what does persecution look like? Well, we're going to hear some testimonies of that Friday night. Again, I just encourage you to come. I've been able to hear many of these testimonies over the years of our family of church pastors. But the result is, it looks like many things. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is the next, right after Matthew 5.10, Matthew 5.11, kind of continues to expand this. So three, three things. There are insults. Insults are, uh, well, Luke 6.26, um, this is sort of the opposite of the insults. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So if everybody's speaking well of you, Jesus says maybe you got to watch out <laughs> because they will insult those and insult righteousness they they will call you because you know you're a hater or you are you know you're closed-minded you're intolerant you're all kinds of insults and labels and you know and it's all this invective that comes forth because there there's you know because In the place of argument, we'll just raise our voices, right? And call names. And God help us that we don't do the same back, by the way. (laughs) All right. Slander. I just defined slander this way based on what I just said about truth is not truth without love and love is not love without truth. Slander is speaking untruths unlovingly. It's when you don't even speak truth and, and and you speak it unlovingly. That's slander. And the church is getting slandered a lot in our day. Here and around the world. And there's injury. There is physical. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. Even if. But God, I'm trying to do good. Well, wonderful and keep doing good and recognize that it may result in some suffering. That can be a part. The martyrs, they were. <laughs> it's not because they were offensive and obnoxious. They were standing for righteousness. They were often doing righteous deeds and they were. You remember the story that um, Jesse shared about his father in the churches back in India and when the when the tsunami had hit and one of the, the the pastors from one of their congregations went to help and was murdered by Hindu militants for doing good. And his wife went back and is there to this day working with them. Okay, This is a modern day story. We always go back to Jim Elliott, but there's people still doing it now. There's still people. There are more martyrs in this, you know, since... the beginning of this last century and up through here, the last hundred years, than there were in the first 1900 years. People are being martyred, experiencing injury. So how do we respond to persecution? Well, I think we should persecute back, right? Well, sometimes it seems like that's been the stance. We'll just, we'll get, you know, We'll shout louder. Well, I don't know. I think the Bible gives us some other options. First is don't resent. While they were stoning him. While they were stoning him. Think about that. Say it with me. While they were stoning him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. While they were stoning him, he said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Wow. That's the ultimate of not resenting. (laughs) Extending forgiveness even while he was dying. Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't retaliate. Boy, we want to retaliate. I know I do. But don't retaliate. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It's mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. Romans 12. So the end of the story hasn't been written yet. And the only one that's getting hurt when you're holding onto that coal or trying to throw it is you. The opposite spirit, when they come with cursing, go with blessing. The opposite spirit. Speak the opposite spirit. Come in the opposite spirit. Don't resign. Don't give up. Don't quit. Isaiah 51.7, hear me, you who know what is right. You who are righteous. You people who have taken my instruction to heart. Do not fear the reproach of mere mortals or be terrified by their insults. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't resign, don't run away. Do rejoice. Do rejoice as it says in Matthew 5:12. Going on in that Matthew, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As Jesus said, or as it was said of Jesus in in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame and sat down at the right end of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do rejoice. Do rejoice. All right. Reward. Here we are. The last of the message. Worship team, come on up. What do we receive for enduring persecution because of righteousness? What do we receive for enduring persecution because of righteousness? Well, let's read all of that, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So the first thing, and because of me, because falsely say all kinds of things, because of me, the first thing that persecution does, it actually confirms our identity, who we belong to, the Lord and his family. It reorients us and reminds us and sets us deeply into the place of remembrance, who we are. Oh, that's right, I'm his child. Oh, that's right, I'm part of his family. Secondly, it confirms our destiny, both in the here and now and in the then and there. So, so so here's the interesting thing about persecution. Here's what I the 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 takeaway that as we as we close the message, the reward that I want to remind you of is persecution actually becomes a confirmation. Not that you're doing something wrong, but that you're doing something right, that you are being something right, of whose you are and, and where you're going. So many times I think we take persecution, we think, oh, we're doing something wrong, if we were just doing something right. No, not necessarily. If we're standing, if we're living in the place of righteousness, if we're allowing his righteousness to flow in and through us, if we're, we're being transformed by the inner goodness that comes from orienting our life around him, when persecution comes, which it will, allow it to confirm in you your identity as it, in the same way that they persecuted me, they're going to, you know, so be glad, I mean, in the sense, I'm, I'm with you, Christ, in this place. And I'm part of your kingdom in the here and now and in the then and there. That I got a place that I'm going, that this isn't the end of the story. How the martyrs died singing was because they knew that wasn't the end of the story. There was a story ahead of them. Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and everything in between. This is Jesus' words in Revelation 22. So I want to remind us of that this morning. I was mentioning to the worship team this morning when I was back, when I just graduated from college, I, I worshipped in a little church, a little Nazarene church over in northwest Indiana, just outside of Chicago. You know, I grew up in the south. Suburbs. My wife and I Chicago area, and but just across the border in Indiana. But it was it was more like a country church than a city church. And um, oh boy, I just wish I could remember her name. But I, I, I remember singing the song that we're going to sing next. And when she would say, there was just this deep, beautiful um, passion present in that church. And um, and one of the older gals. Boy, when. When we'd sing this, or she'd, the glory would just get on her, and she'd do something. I don't know what it was, but she'd do something with her voice. And I'm telling you, every hair in your head would stand up. But it was just this sense of expectation and the sense of joy. And there was, it was mixed with this, you know, the sorrow of this life, but the joy of, the, of what's coming. And in the mingling of that, there's just this powerful cry unto the Lord, just this, this open hearted cry unto the Lord. Now, I haven't sung this song in years, but as, we were, as I was preparing this message, this was a song that the just, Lord just kind of just brought into my heart. And so for some of you, it'll take you back. And some of you, it'll be all brand new. Just think of it as a brand new course today that you've never heard that just got written. But it didn't just get written, all right? But it's called When We All Get to Heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus. I'll just go to here's the 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 core or the and yeah, whatever. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we're gonna sing and shout the victory. All right. So so in between, here and now, we might have to go through some persecution and trials and suffering and troubles. But I'm telling you, it's not the end of the story. So if you wanna stand to your feet this morning, we're gonna we're gonna Close with this declaration, and then I'm gonna ask Lynn to come and pray us, pray a benediction over us this morning. And we're just gonna um yeah, we're just gonna make this proclamation today. And again, I invite you this week to continue in the favor fast, in whatever way the Lord is directing and inviting you, join us this weekend. Many things, Friday, Sunday, youth, all those things, opportunities to dig in deeper into what God's been doing and speaking to our hearts. All right, so here we go. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. As you go from this house to your house, sent to make disciples of all nations, may you be filled with his presence and with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. May you and your family be so blessed this week as you remember what Christ did for all of us. That your homes, all of our homes, would just be filled with rejoicing, filled with love, filled with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that everyone that we meet will see his presence on us this week. I just pray peace over you as you leave today and as you come again. If we meet again in this house or in our eternal home, may you just be blessed with the presence of God.